And here we are. Again. What are we talking about this week? The same as we talked about. No, not the same as we talked about no. last week. Every no, week. definitely not last week. <clears throat> because last week we got our, our video taken down for saying naughty things. Two weeks ago. Last week we played it safe. Oh, you were on we Facebook last week, America's yeah. Big bad, big bad empire, you know, Kazakhstan, geopolitics. Mm. YouTube has no problem with that. But the week before was medical misinformation. Yeah. Even though the things we said, as we'll see now, are now breaking news. Yes. <laughs> this week, we're going to try as close as possible just to cite what official reports are saying. Yeah. On the COVID. Well, and we won't uh, extrapolate at all. Ah, you have to, right? You have to extrapolate, but that's it's in the extrapolation that you get that you yes. get in trouble. They say no, 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 no. You cannot. That opinion that. you shared is censored, because the thing about it is, is it is dangerous. Because if anybody listening to this would listen, who listens to our watches our show, uh, was were, were to you know listen to what we said and being the mindless, the mindless mindless slaves and drones that they are would automatically take what we said to be a hundred percent true and then go and act on it they could kill themselves by like for example not getting a vaccine because everybody knows that if you don't get a vaccine you will die is that medical misinformation uh, yeah i think so that, basically that, is that medical misinformation? you could be causing harm that's no the, but that, the, the, what i just say is that is what i just said medical misinformation no that that's what they will say is the reason for but i just said that if you don't get a vaccine you will die is that medical misinformation not in the context in which you said it which is that we should be banned, which is okay. No, but it's, if you take it as a, as a statement in and of itself. If you cut it out from what you said and edit it and just have well, a get banned. Do you think you get banned from YouTube for saying if you don't get a vaccine, you will die? You'll get uh, your video either demonetized, we don't have that, or it'll be a strike. Do you think so? If, I, if I'm advocating for vaccines, I'll get a strike? Huh? I, I just said if you don't get a vaccine, you will die. Ah, right. Okay. I'm confused. Yeah. <laughs> I heard what I wanted to hear. Exactly. That's the problem. <laughs> so, that's what I want to know. I just said... There's been a lot of really clever, like, tweets from people and mm -hmm. other, you know, memes going around where it looks like the way they're phrasing it, they're on one side of the debate. Yeah. But in fact, everyone skips and they go, oh, screw you. I thought you were on our side, you know. But if you read it closer, there's a negative junction in there mm -hmm. or a clause or a comma. That totally changes the whole meaning. So it was an interesting exercise. No, if I say that, mm -hmm. and I think I'll have said it for the fourth time now, if you don't get a vaccine, you will die. Should I not? Is that not medical misinformation? And should we not get... Uh, it is medical misinformation, but it's politically correct information. Oh, okay. So it's not about facts or accuracy or science. Your messaging is in line with the authorities. YouTube would literally say something like that. Therefore, it's fine. Okay. That is what they're... If you look at the message they send us. Yeah, our guidelines, right? Our guidelines are to, are that if you're saying something that's broadly not in line with what medical authorities are saying, we have a problem with it. That's a problem, yeah. So and it's not we, really It's about, almost apologetic. Sorry, we just had to take this video down. So it's not really about facts. It's about... Well, facts are assumed to be what the experts say, and there's a specific group of experts. They're held up. There's no... That's, it's an interesting thing. There's no really credentialed our credential basis to the experts that are that are the authorities, right, that are listened to. It's all, well, it's almost like they're the authority, the experts who are in authority, who have power. What they say is true. So power equals truth. Yes. Because there's lots of other scientists, very well-credentialed scientists, who, who don't agree with what the authority scientists say. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. But it's the authority scientists who are the ones who, i.e. the ones who are in position to power, who are government scientists, who, who the government listens to, I suppose, because very often you hear the... Very often you hear government saying that they're listening to the science, but obviously they're not listening to all the science, right? Because no. there's a lot of dissenting science there. So it's only a specific group of scientists or, or yeah. a specific area of the science, let's say, that the government um, listens to yeah. and propagates and runs with. Yeah. And that becomes the truth. So it's, it's not, it's a not very even clear what, quote, the government is. If you, if you read, for example, Scott Atlas's... Um, summary of what it was like working for about eight months. Formerly, he was hired by the president, i.e. the government, the president, the White House executive of the yeah. United States government by Donald Trump right. to be on the uh, their SAGE, their version of SAGE over in the US. <clears throat> he spends eight months <clears throat> before he's booted or leaves with Trump or leaves just before or something. We now know because he wrote a very detailed bo- book about what happened. Going every day with data to say, I think we should do this or not do that. Okay, yeah. And he's, here's a bunch of the latest from medical websites, peer-reviewed papers, whatever, the best studies. It wasn't even that it was him competing with an opposing argument that had equivalent numbers of papers to cite. Mm. He turned up and Fauci, and Burks, and a few others just had nothing and just went, ah, that's not what the science says. Yeah. And they all nod in unison. But they had no science with them. <laughs> right. That was the most amazing thing about it. Now, Scott Lattis wasn't strictly alone. There were others as well on his side, in quotes, but he's the only one who's spoken out about what it was like every day inside, quote, the government. So he's an example of someone who was in authority. I was a, a medical authority, i.e. attached to the government, but who was dismissed by the media as not the science. Yeah. Because the science was a different individual or group of individuals within the Trump administration who were kind of like sidelined by Trump. But they were the ones who, who the media and others promoted as the real science. And of course, anybody that Trump supported uh, in terms of science was not the science. That was the fake science because Trump himself was illegitimate because he wasn't a legitimate, well, he wasn't a legitimate authority in the eyes of most of the media. Therefore, they could dismiss that authority. So it's not just that they can dismiss certain science as not authoritative and, and accept another group of scientists as authoritative. They can also do that with governments. They can sideline an entire government as not the authority. Yeah. So it's very, it's very variable. It's not um, – and it, it seems to be down to the media or someone behind the media or some other group like we've talked about, the deep state and, and the Washington establishment. That seems to be the real authority behind the scenes and they're the ones who decide from behind the scenes – what the authority in any particular area actually is. And then most of the media repeats that. Partly, but that suggests an enormous amount of ongoing efforts on their behalf to keep it so. Mm. But there's also a huge amount of that structural in nature. You've got whole segments of the population that don't even need to be primed by said deep state media organs or mm. what, the, what have you. you mean they people? will instinctively go, that's the truth. Yeah. And that's the fake news. And the tr- Well, uh, you're talking about ordinary people here, right? Yeah. Yeah. But that's because we've talked about this before. Now, so if required, you could argue that that required previous primings in other incidents to lead them to well, that point. But It requires pre- priming in the sense of the past two years and the priming that they've been subjected to over the past two years in terms of being told that they lived in a d- deadly pandemic and all the sacrifices they made to do their part yeah. as part of keeping everybody safe uh, and, and putting an end to this deadly pandemic. That, there's that whole kind of sunk cost fallacy type thing or 
that, that's one yeah. aspect of it. But it's another another aspect is it's simply lived experience. That when people experience something as real, like having to go through all the things that people went through, basically, you know, social distancing, not seeing their families, uh, you know, isolation, all that kind of stuff, you know, business. And having business. to take the vaccines when they having, actually didn't want it. Right. All of that is a direct lived experience for people and it argues in their minds and in their emotions for um, the the official narrative about the pandemic being true. Therefore, they will back up any official source that says, that, that validates the idea that it was all as they said it was, as they experienced it and, and, and as the, the official story claimed it was. So that's the problem with, with a lot of ordinary people, you know, the ones who really just went with it unthinkingly, lived it, experienced it, became part of their being, and now they continue to argue for it. That's part of their reality. Uh, whereas there was, you know, a significant number of other people who were quite sceptical from the very beginning and chose a different path, didn't live that same experience. They, Of course, they were isolated and restricted and all that kind of stuff, but they were dissenting all the way through that. Mm. And in their minds, they didn't, they didn't integrate it into their personal experience, let's say, as being real. And therefore, those people are the ones who take the opposite approach today. Yeah. yeah. They followed, so to speak. But inside, internally, they were like, yeah. this is weird. They this is strange. They didn't I'm holding them. this at bay, right. so to speak, psychically, yeah. while I act go like through everyone the else. Go through the motions, through the yeah. motions. Yeah. It's interesting. No, but I'd like to, uh, I, it would be, I don't know. Yeah, it would be interesting. I mean, medical misinformation, I'm pretty sure that it should objectively come under medical misinformation. Yeah, to That's, claim that taking a vaccine will save you. No, to claim that if you don't take the vaccine, you will, you will die. die. It's kind of different. Um, there's some wiggle room where you could see that saying that taking a vaccine will possibly potentially save your life you could maybe argue that Uh, but to say that if you don't take one you will die I think it's definitely medical misinformation so I'm expecting a strike from YouTube on that one I said it five times now in about 10 minutes. <laughs> the thing is you're in line with actual government statements. But it's false. From France, Germany, the UK and the United States in the last four weeks. But it's demonstrably false, no? There's something like, I don't know how many, untold tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people around the world who haven't taken a vaccine who aren't dead. According to the German government, they'll be dead in a few weeks. They won't survive the winter. But that'll definitely overwhelm the, uh, that'll definitely over- overwhelm the health service. Like that'll, uh, that'll be the end of the health service if like hundreds of millions of people all die in a couple of weeks. Like. Or bypass them. In theory, if they get their wish, the German government will just have to spend a lot of time hiring diggers to you know, dig mass graves and not bother hurting the healthcare system or protect the healthcare system, sacrifice millions of Germans. If this sounds extreme. Well, bear in mind, I'm citing... The German government in December saying, by the end of this winter, you will either be one of three things, no other possibilities, vaccinated, dead, or what was the third one? I think they left it at two. Or recovered. Or recovered. You'll have got it and recovered, which might be everybody. Right. <laughs> well, actually, according to Omicron, the Omicron statistics and the, the data about Omicron, that's, that's the real one. Everybody will have had Omicron and still be alive. Uh, maybe with, after having had a few sniffles and a headache or something, but that's about it. Well, that that's the main. That's the topic we're leading with this week, isn't it? Like it's it's kind of COVID truth at last, so to speak, coming through in all directions. Um, yeah, not least from the US CDC. Do you want to have this BBC article up first? Yeah, throw that up for start. Um, after two oh, years you? of pointing out the distinction between dying from COVID 
or with it. It's now headline news on the BBC, 18, 19, 20 months later. Yep. So COVID deaths are rising sharply in the UK, but an increasing proportion of these are actually due to something else. Really? Something else. That's because, what, what could that be? That's because some people die with COVID rather than from it. No way. That's, my mind's just blown. That's just, I've never heard that before. Oh, hang on, I did. Oh yeah, it was me repeatedly, almost every day over the past 18 months. The Omicron wave is driving rising infections, which means more people will catch it and some will get sick. Deaths will inevitably increase too, but not all will be true COVID one cases. True, true COVID ones. Other people, other others will be people who happened to test positive. It's a bit galling. Like I mean, I'm pretty. I think I and most others are pretty well insulated in a certain sense against the the kind of normal, natural, predictable outrage that might come from having. To witness this when, you know, after two years of shouting about it and, and seeing it as a, as a way to uh, prevent the kind of march to, towards kind of dystopian, uh, kind of authoritarian dictatorship almost like uh, policies by government in, in, in different societies and different societies and a lot of societies around the world, you know, us pushing that angle like, listen, you're overstating the numbers. People who are dying, all the numbers you're giving for people dying from COVID, a lot of them are with COVID. They didn't die from COVID and you don't, therefore don't need to use these. You, you can't reasonably use these, this allegation that all these people are dying from COVID to justify lockdowns and vaccine passes and segregation. Sadly, you can't do that. We've been trying to do that for 18 months to no avail. Mm-hmm. Stonewalled, blanked, shut up, conspiracy theorists, tinfoil hatter. And now it's on the BBC, not yeah. just the BBC, but it's also on the throw up the Scott, the Scott, the JPEG, the Scott E. Um, it's also, I mean, this is just one more example. It's, it's kind of interesting, this one actually. This is in the news, the Herald, the Scottish Herald. Case rates lowest in unvaccinated as double jabbed elderly drive rise in hospital admission. So this is slightly different, although obviously connected. Double jab Scott are now more likely to be admitted to hospital with COVID than the unvaccinated amid an, in, amid an increase in elderly people falling ill due to waning immunity. It comes amid weird, note that, weird data showing the case rates have been lower in unvaccinated individuals than the single, double or even triple jabbed since Omicron became the dominant variant in Scotland. So it's, to this reporter, to these people at this newspaper in Scotland, it's weird which suggests that they can't really figure it out. There's something very strange about this. Uh, where, and this is on a case case rate basis, so it's it's you can't even use the ex- excuse that well, of course, there's going to be more people, um, vac- uh, more vaccinated in hospital than unvaccinated because of the um, because there's more people vaccinated, right? It's it's on a it's yeah. on a, a ratio basis. But until ten days ago, the message was most hospitalizations, cases, whatever, right. Are among the unvaccinated, right? And there's a, there's a graph. I don't know. If, I don't think I, I have the graph. The, Scott, I just sent. Do it you to have him. it? Send them. This is this is the, the weird up. data. So this is the weird data. Yeah. So if you look out there, it's uh, vaccination status in Scotland: twenty eight percent unvaccinated, seventy two percent vaccinated. So, but in the breakdown of cases, you have 
85%, so 72% are vaccinated, but 85% of the cases are among the vaccinated. 78% of hospitalizations are among the vaccinated. And almost 80%, 79.5% of deaths are among the vaccinated. Now, those look quite high and stuff, but they're obviously all quite low, especially deaths and hospitalizations. There's very few people actually going to hospital or dying from any yeah. specific virus right now. Vaxxed or not otherwise. So, yeah. so that graph makes it clear that this is the weird aspect of it. So it's not just about, like I said, where you can't just, you, you can't claim that, well, of course, that's going to be the case because most people are vaccinated. It's actually the vaccinated are outstripping the unvaccinated in terms of getting sick and ill and dying with, as a result of yeah, Omicron I mean, or it, whatever. So assuming, assuming their standards are, are consistent, what it shows is actually potentially vaccine negative efficacy because if 28% yeah. are vaccinated or sorry, excuse me, are not vaccinated in yeah. Scotland, yet the deaths are lower than that rate. Yeah. You're more likely. Yeah. It's, it, it suggests you're more likely to die. Go ahead. Get banned. <laughs> get, get, get this video banned. Go ahead. But based on the data from a newspaper and from, it's actually from uh, com published this graph, published this data. And what it says pretty unequivocally is that if you're vaccinated, your risk of being in hospital and dying are greater than if you're unvaccinated, which suggests follow on, following, on, following on the logic from that is that the vaccines don't work. Now, of course, plenty of people have said that vaccines are waning, at least waning in efficacy. They don't really work very well, not least the CEO of Pfizer said it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we don't have the video, but you can find it easily yourself. He himself said that double vaccinated, you pretty, pretty much don't have any protection whatsoever. So here we're at the point where we can't say stuff like this, even though the authorities, the, the sanctioned authorities are saying it, but we can't say it. Or because, it could be inferred from what they're saying. Well, it's pretty clear, like, you know, and even using objective data, right? But we're not allowed to say certain things. There's th that data from Scotland, for example, you can't look at it any other way or you can't conclude anything other than if you're vaccinated, your risk of being in hospital or dying from COVID of whatever strain is higher than if you're unvaccinated. But by saying that, based on that objective data, YouTube might ban this video. Mm. What is that? Do you want to infer anything from that? What that means, where we are, or what kind of world we live in, or how bad the situation is? No. Well, it's pretty obvious, right? Um, but that's just the way it is. I mean, it's, it's, it says that conclusion, whatever conclusion you would draw from that, that we live in some kind of a, you know, totalitarian type you know, society where uh, f speech, accurate, truthful speech is censored by big tech, that's as unimpeachable a conclusion, uh, you know, that yeah. you, can, you can reach that conclusion uh, as, 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 as fairly and objectively as the same as the conclusion you reach from reading that data about vaccinated and unvaccinated. I mean, both of them follow on very logically, very objectively, very empirically. Mm -hmm. So do you think you get banned from YouTube for saying that YouTube censors truthful speech? 
No comment. <laughs> I'll leave that thought hanging in the air. I don't know. I'm just, well, I'm just connecting some dots here. I'm, here, I'm open to being... Connected. Here's a pattern. Last summer, people were getting banned from YouTube and other social media sites for mentioning it. You just had to be talking about it. It was in the news, but you weren't allowed to talk about it. Yeah. The Wuhan lab, Fauci gain of function yeah. thing. Just yeah, talking yeah. about it. You couldn't yeah. talk about it. Just, just shut up. Don't talk about it. Yeah. But it's been talked about several times in the media since then mm. because of high-profile leaks. Now, that's no longer a bannable offense. Right. You can say that it may have come from a lab. That's not the only instance of this. In general, what's happening is the mainstream and the social media owners are following behind of what can be said. And gradually they are sort of lifting their controls on this. Yeah. There's a kind of... A kind of a, if everyone's used to, you know, waves and curves and flattening the curves. Well, there was a curve of people rushing to the forefront to say, hang on, if you look at this data differently, you can infer this from it. Right. Banned. Not allowed to infer that. But we have finally got to the point mm, where referring. the BBC is making the distinction that was a bannable offense perhaps 18 months ago to make the distinction between right. what it means to actually die from COVID yeah. versus yeah. The incredible numbers they were showing, you know, tens of thousands every week in some countries. So, would that, should that not come, should that BBC article and many others like it that are saying the same thing? It's come from Fauci, it's come from the CDC director, um, you know, making that distinction. Do you have that tweet from her this week? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, do you? Um, She says it all. Yeah, should that not be, um, should should that not come with an admission of, of uh, error for what they were saying. Should they not say that we were wrong now that now that this is seems to be the case? Well, maybe they won't say that. It's only maybe they'll say that's only the case now with Omicron. But they don't really seem to be saying that. They seem to be saying that that's. They don't say that it was. This is something that was going on all along. But they don't say it wasn't. And it's certainly an open question as to whether if this is now what's happening. Cer- certainly, surely that's. That process by which COVID with and from deaths, the mixing of those two is something that is, if it's being seen now, surely it's, that's based on a system that was set up long ago, like in terms of this, the past, past two years. Surely that's, that's the way it's been all along. That's a, surely that's a reasonable question to, to, to ask. Is this the way it's always been? Are you coming? Are you looking at the, seeing this now, seeing this problem now with the distinction between with and from, and the fact that a lot of people are in hospital who are put down as having died from COVID actually only died with it. They were in the hospital for something else completely, and that other thing that killed them. The fact that you're noticing this now because it's happening and it's it's coming out of hospitals is that is it reasonable to suggest that was the way it has been all along? that's part of the way the counting was done all along or is it just have you suddenly changed your counting is yeah I, I think it's reasonable to suggest that an editor or two or 10 or 15 all of them at the BBC in this example knew otherwise yeah knew better but were following either actual written instruction right or their perception of what would be approved mm. by higher ups in presenting <clears throat> what could and could not be reported 
and the framework for acceptable debate within that range as the range changed over the two years. Yeah. So the BBC doing this now is not a sudden, it's not a learning on the part of the writer or editor who published that. It's, it, it's an acknowledgement that they knew that to be the case or at least were aware that the right. other side that's been banned all this time had a point. So, so why would they have gone along with it then? Because, they, because they were, quote, trusting the science. Where trusting the science means following the but party the, line but the science can be said. The science knew it at the time as well then. Yes. Let's say the science knew it. But why would the, what would the justification have been of, from government to tell the media to don't talk about this? keep saying what we're telling you to say, part of the justification would be that we, because if we, we talked about this previously so with the behavioral scientists where exactly. they said that positive, was it, was it positive news? Don't inform, don't well, allow for decisions. It was important to have the messaging, more, I'm more or less paraphrasing them now, even if the messaging is going too far and it's not actually a mapping with the scientific reality, reality of this pandemic as it is now, we must go but we must make sure that they are afraid of this thing. We have to exaggerate, effectively. Exaggerate it for their own good. I'm paraphrasing. But, but, but how does that how does that square if it's for their own it's for their own good? Because you're telling people that that they're dying because their that, plausible meta narrative behind the narratives they were publishing was that we don't know how bad this thing can get. But surely the data was showing them that it wasn't bad and this is a year into it well, here the data you, was showing that most the, of the people in hospitals were dying with covid rather than from covid and here i'm assuming that this was the way it was going on all along and if you're looking at that you're seeing that actually no this virus isn't as deadly as is being made out but let's pretend it is in order to protect people from what i don't know because you've hit the crux of the matter in january of 2020 you and i were looking at the data from china and doing some rough calculations and even as they began to come in from Italy and Iran, the first places hit after yeah. Wuhan, Hubei province, China, we said, okay, the hysteria has definitely ramped up. There's military on the streets in Italy. We can see that. We understand why everyone's shitting their pants. But the data is still looking like... Well, Italy, Italy's official data very soon after, within a couple of months, was 95% of the deaths in March and April or April and May last year, 95% were uh, over 80 with multiple comorbidities, i.e. that's with COVID, that's not from COVID. Yeah. And there were mo several other countries who, who, who produced the same data, but that was just ignored. So, I mean, you can see our reason for skepticism uh, with that data right from the beginning and how it's been validated all the way along, and now it's being validated almost two years later by the BBC uh, and other major, not, not just the media, but let's yeah, let's go to the fourth the fourth Twitter Twitter one along our CDC director. This is uh, the CDC director, obviously Rochelle. Uh, There's actually uh, before we do that, uh, Aeneas just posted a comment and said, "In Denmark, health authorities also have said a few weeks ago that there is a need to distinguish between dying with and dying of COVID." Yeah. What yeah. took them so long? Well, it's not just it's not, so it's it's not every, even just it's the media. It's, it's actually a lot of governments. Places. Yeah, governments, of course, and that's what I was going to say. Well, government. She's not government. She's uh, the CDC director, but. She's almost above government in a certain sense, I suppose, in terms of dictating the, the course of, 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 the, the, me, of the, the type of messaging around this. Just throw it up there. It's a, a tweet she made. What date is on it? Um, 12th of January, four days ago. She's setting a study. So it's an authoritative study, obviously, because she's setting it. A study on severity of those infected with Omicron. 
compared to Delta, 53% less risk of symptomatic hospitalization, 74% less risk of ICU admission, and 91% less risk of death. And zero Omicron patients required mechanical ventilation. Uh So... And and the point to be inferred from that is the director of the CDC is making it very clear that Omicron, the current wave, fourth or fifth, I forget, is less dangerous, markedly less dangerous than at least the previous one, if not all three. Well, it's down to the level of... So that's clear from... That's what she's trying to say there. It's down to the level of a cold, of of the seasonal flu or seasonal cold. Yeah. Uh, Or less, maybe. So, yeah, are we allowed to say that? I don't know. Um, there's another one, the one before that, Scotty, there's a European Medicines Agency. This is from, um, it's interesting. <laughs> Actually, if you look at the tweet, if you look just down below, misleading. The European Agency, European Medicines Agency is an agency of the European Union that's in charge of the evaluation and supervision, supervision of medicinal products. So they're basically the overseers of what medicines or, you know, validation or, verific- or um, ratification, let's say, of, of of, of medicines for their rollout to the public and they produce a little video just well January 11th there you see but it's interesting just before you listen to it misleading Twitter Twitter put up uh, a little misleading thing on this I don't know why it's from the European Union's top medical authority effectively yeah. learn why health officials consider COVID-19 vaccine safe for most people and yet if let's just listen to what they say There are two concerns here is that if we uh, have a strategy in which we give boosters, let's say, every four months approximately, uh, we will end up potentially having problem with the immune response and the immune response may end up not being as good as we would like it to be. So we should be careful in not uh, um, overloading the immune system with repeated immunization. And secondly, of course, there is uh, uh, the risk of fatiguing the population with the continuous administration of boosters. So he basically is warning in a very diplomatic way that uh, repeated uh, administration of boosters to the population would cause effectively immunodeficiency. And immunodeficiency is pretty serious. There's people who are living with immunodeficiency from, for other reasons, and it's not, not good. It's, uh, it's very debilitating. So he's you know, pointing out that uh, repeated, effectively that repeated uh, administration of boosters would compromise and damage people's immune systems. Uh, and despite that, and we're talking, when I say boosters, I mean vaccines. So repeated administration of vaccines for COVID would damage people's immune system. But Twitter decided to put a little notice underneath that statement by the European Medicines Agency that you should that this is misleading and you should learn why health officials consider COVID-19 vaccines safe for most people. Um, pick it out of that. I don't know. Figure it out yourself what's going on but um there's likely some geopolitics it was the european parliament that um blew the lid on the swine flu vaccine in 2009 yeah 
um, which effectively rendered it not going to happen in Europe at the time. Yeah. And a couple, within a couple of months, the US backed off doing it in North America. Um, they probably, yeah, they don't mind. They don't mind labeling a top European agency because they don't. I, in a sense, it's ironic because they, a bit like most, many, if not most, European people themselves, they, you know, doubt America, the authority of European Union. America is the fount of all wisdom. You look to America and Fauci for the. Yeah, and if you look at the national governments, especially the leading ones, Germany, France, the United Kingdom, the Western European governments especially, they're fully in lockstep with the messaging. Like our commentator just said about um, Denmark, you know, Mm -hmm. the same thing goes out everywhere at the same time, roughly. Whether that's instruction, as I suggested earlier, or just something instinctive in the air that they all read, Mm. you know. Yeah, and it's not not just... Look, let's look at the Irish Times there. Um, the, the headline is, is good enough, I suppose. Um, <laughs> it's almost farcical. I mean, we're trying to contain our laughter here. Just throw it up there, Scotty. Um, we're trying to contain our laughter because it is farcical. Uh, most hospital patients with COVID-19 have no viral symptoms. <laughs> uh, and do they have any symptoms? Well, do, I mean, just to underline the point, just go to the first paragraph there. Most patients in hospital with COVID-19 have no symptoms of the disease. (laughs) Most patients in hospital with this disease have no symptoms of this disease. That's another way of saying that. I just want like some, a lot more stunned silence in response to these. uh, I mean, I'm just, I'm I'm struggling to keep my jaw where it should be. You know, I'm just like, I, I have no words. I don't know what to say. I mean, I don't know how much more obvious it can be, you know, how much, uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, um, meanwhile, uh, third, third Twitter, uh, link there, Israel's largest hospital. This was today, actually. I think, anyway. Yeah, today. Israel's largest hospital tax is really health ministry for a ridiculous COVID policy. That was me. Uh, so I tra- this is um, Israel's largest yeah, largest hospital. And she, this woman is, her name is, yeah, Edit. <laughs> Edit Matot. Anyway, she posted it on Hebrew and I translated it. Um, so she starts there, good week. Well, this is translation, good week, hi. These days, we are marking two years since the outbreak of the corona plague, and unfortunately, if there is one thing that still drives the decision makers in this event, it is the anxiety and the feeling of fear. Flexibility means being agile in our ability to be flexible, to understand at any given time that we are facing and to act accordingly. Blah, blah. Omicron begins, belongs to the corona family, but there is nothing to compare it with previous strains that have caused a prolonged and severe illness. Uh, it is now... It is not now, not the American. I don't know what she means by that. In fact, for a month now, we have been seeing an understanding that the Omicron is highly contagious, but has minimal damage potential. Minimal. And evidently, we have no respirators in Ichilov, which is the hospital, biggest hospital in Israel, with Omicron. Not even one. So not even one respirator. And that, that mirrors the uh, CDC, Walensky, that no one, yeah. zero patients needed to be, needed to be in the uh, United States. intubated in, in the US. This is fast. 
Patient, what they have are patients with respiratory flu, she said. These patients are not counted and published except for the annual article on the old woman from the corridor. Influenza is a disease without public relations, but she kills. The numbers that are shown to us by corona patients uh, are light for the most part and difficult. They have, they have corona, but for the most part, they are not because of corona. <laughs> they have corona, but for the most part, they are not because of corona. What does that mean? They have the flu, they have the cold? Uh, well, actually, no, she means uh, maternity. So, you know, I don't know what she means by maternity. Maybe women in maternity, in maternity wards. But she says, young after falling from a scooter, treated with infection and more. So she's pointing here to other reasons that they're in hospital, right? Which is the which is the kind of main point here in all of this and all of this reporting that people who are in hospital and supposedly with COVID are not there with COVID at all. In Ireland, they have no symptoms, uh, and in 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 most other places, they're you know mild symptoms, and in fact, they're in hospital for something entirely different, and have simply been tested, and may or may not yeah, may not may or may not even have any symptoms. Uh, So she says, therefore, the publicity of the number of severe patients with corona that appears every day in the media is misleading. In fact, critically ill patients because of the corona are isolated and also for some the aggravated definition of a serious patient, as we have spoken in the past, creates a false representation of an illegitimate serious illness and in practice only creates anxiety and leads to problematic managerial decisions. Instead of treating this strain accordingly, people are forced to be imprisoned in their homes and we are de facto in a kind of closure and the state is on the verge of collapse. Are we crazy? And for what? It reminds me that a few weeks ago a few drops came down here but we gave it a name, Carmel, and we all waited for the flood. That she means it rained. Uh, <laughs> now it's really just a matter of branding. So anyway, and she goes on about, uh, you know, certainly for children who, who, ha who need a routine life, we rob them of their childhood, of their development, of learning. We give them fear, mental disorders, regression. Uh, please save our future generation, but also save the parents who are isolated with the children. Hundreds of thousands of isolated on, on for what? A huge population walks around asymptomatically with Omicron and we do not even know. Many people become infected and un are unaware of it. She says the guidelines need to be adapted. So anyway, that's uh, that's from Israel. There apparently is some sanity left in even in Israel. Uh, yeah. So, but then, okay. So, Pockets what are we what are we looking at here? Omicron is the only cold. Nothing burger. It, it's yeah. over. It's done. It, if it ever was anything, it's over and it's done now. Um, but vaccines are still in place. Are they going to... Is there much talk about a fourth booster? There's talk about a, f a fourth booster here and there, but I think it's kind of going away. People, have, Most people have... Had, a lot of people have had three uh, shots. Is that where they're going to end it? Is it because of all these footballers and athletes and different people collapsing with chest pains and the evidence that vaccines have side effects, disproportionately large number of side effects, um, like we said, heart inflammation. Is that finally coming to bear and putting the kibosh on the whole 
get more and more vaccines. If you just go to the, I mean, there's two studies. There's a bit of a debate on Twitter. <clears throat> uh, actually, it was on Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan, you remember that uh, we were talking about earlier on the. Uh, Joe Rogan had some dude. He's a he's a journalist on recently, mm-hmm. and uh, there was a little bit. Uh, a little section that was spread around on Twitter where the journalist journalist fact-checked fact-checked Joe Rogan Rogan, who's saying that you have a higher risk of getting a heart especially young males have a higher risk of getting uh, myocarditis or pericarditis or both um, as a result of the vaccination compared to uh, from getting COVID from getting COVID and uh, so Rogan had said this was making this point and the guy pushed back and told him that no it's the opposite it's significantly more uh, you have a significantly higher risk of getting uh, heart inflammation from COVID than you have from the vaccine. And Rogan backed down and he did a mea culpa and on he cited, Twitter. And cited the study. And cited the study that the guy cited, but that's only one study. <clears throat> and in fact, you have to wonder where it came from. Uh, but at the same time, within the past week or two weeks, you just go to the Israel National News um, in this article, they're citing a study. New research suggests heart inflammation may be more common than initially believed and becomes more likely among young with booster shots. Um, if you just scroll down to... Uh, uh, uh. Yeah, uh, young, keep going. Um, yeah, keep going, down, down, down. Among all patients, where's that? No, not among all patients. Keep going. Uh, importantly, it begins with, importantly, towards the bottom there, right there. Importantly, the study found that not only were males under 40 at far higher risk for myocarditis from any of the vaccines than from COVID infection, Multiple doses of all the vaccines appear to cause a cumulative effect, cumulative effect in increasing risk for the heart inflammation condition. Um, yes, now that jives with or dovetails with what the European Medical medic- Agency. Medicines Agency yeah. were just saying, warning about repeated booster doses that uh, he just said that it would... Uh, Although about a different issue, but well, he related. Said, well, he said compromise the immune system, yeah. of course, yeah. So um, there's that. And the next one is another from recently within the last couple of weeks, a large British study. It's the next, uh, it's the Liberty Loft. Another study, separate from the one you just saw in the Israel National News, large British study finds risk of myocarditis doubles after each mRNA jab. God. Uh, first paragraph, a, a study coming out of Britain showed an alarming increase in the risk of myocarditis, which is inflammation of the heart, after every mRNA jab, particularly in males under 40. The study was published last month, so it's from December, analysed over 42 million people, 13 and older, who had taken a COVID-19 shot. It was conducted by various researchers from institutions at the University of Oxford, Oxford Leicester, Edinburgh, King's College London and University of Nottingham. The findings showed that myocarditis risk doubled after one job, doubled again after a second job, and doubled yet again after a third booster job. Wow. And the horrifying thing for Israel is that its young population is the most boosted on the earth. Yeah. I think of all the countries when it comes to the fourth shot, Israel is most people from 12 up. 
Uh, further on down in that article, it says the American Heart Association has yeah. released similar studies finding that the overwhelming majority of younger Americans developing myocarditis were injected with an experimental mRNA jab within a month of developing the condition. Right, and note that the overwhelming majority of younger Americans developing myocarditis, that includes any of them that you could ascribe to uh, developing, it, developing it from COVID. So uh, on the total number of young Americans, younger Americans developing myocarditis, uh, the overwhelming majority were injected with an experimental mRNA jab. Not that they were, the overwhelming majority did not have COVID. The overwhelming majority were injected with an experimental mRNA jab. Uh, I mean, does Twitter pull up Israeli national news and the Lancet now for medical misinformation? They should, if they post it on Twitter. Um, <laughs> the horrifying thing about the Israeli situation is that many of the best numbers, <clears throat> they've been frank about publishing numbers. That's why Alex Berenson and others will often go to Israel. And it's not just because he's a New York Jew, you know, going to Israel for the best data. It's because they're one of the few places that have been consistently frank in publishing and allowing their own national news organizations to say, well, here's the other side of the argument. They also rolled it out. That's before, the horrible, the horrible thing. They've got the most truthiness going on in that country, and they're the most boosted. I think the two go together. In advance, they've had longer. They did it first. They rolled it out first. They did uh, the mRNA vaccines uh, first into most people, and they also boosted people the first uh, compared to any other country in the world. So they have advanced down the line in terms of seeing what possible side effects. And that's maybe why you're getting the data out of Israel because they've had long, longer than most other countries to see the actual side effects. It's, uh, it's some kind of... It's some kind of sick game going on there. Did you see the video this week of the Israeli Prime Minister doing a, a press PR stand? He's in the room with the press in a hospital and someone's child has been brought in against his or her will right. to be jabbed. I think it's a nine-year-old girl. Mm. And she's screaming, like, no, I don't want it. And she's got two relatives holding her, surrounded mm -hmm. by nurses. Mm -hmm. And he's there prancing around, you know, blah, 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 about how great this is going to be. Yep. And now we're going to watch Stab. And she's just, like, screaming, like, get me the fuck out of here. That's pretty sick. This is, like, when you're at that level of, here's the truth about how this is mucking up their health. And we're doing it to you anyway. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we have no shame. Like... Like you say, you drop your jaw in silence, or if you're in the middle of a situation, you lash out. I mean, I mm -hmm. don't, you're always going to feel sympathy for people who are. Because mm -hmm. what else are they supposed to do? It's, it's pathocratic. It's like full on. We're, tell, we're telling you one thing. This is what it's going to do to you, and you must do it. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. Well, and everyone else has done it. In Israel, you have the social proof of really 90% yeah. of people around you have done it. And behind it all is, uh, as I've said many times on the show, is that uh, behind it all, or supporting it all, and really the core of the problem is a large majority of people, a large majority of people in the world being unwilling or unable or both yeah. to accept that governments would engage in this kind of a, a socially, this, this, kind of, this kind of socially destructive policy 
not just in terms of destroying society, but destroying potentially destroying people's health, um, that they would actually do that. And people just can't go there. And that's the problem. You know, because if people knew what was going on or, or had, you know, if people were to take in all the facts that we're presenting to them and make a, make a judgment, you know, uh, based on the evidence that's available to them, and there's quite a lot of evidence, I think most people would side with, uh, would, would come down on the, on the skeptical side of things, you know, and they would start to start to question the whole thing. And if they go further in that direction, they could become quite outraged, you know, but, um, and that would put an end to it. But that doesn't happen because people are unwilling to believe and accept or unwilling yeah. or unable to accept that there can be such a level of mendacity and recklessness and carelessness in government towards the population. They just won't accept that. So and until they, I don't know, what they need to, what needs to happen for them to accept that as, as actually part of, part of the reality, you know. Um, but, so yeah. All of the evidence, as we just laid out, is pointing even from, specifically from authoritative sources, is pointing that this is kind of done, it's over. It's army cold, it's the sniffles, uh, the CDC director has said as much, and yet governments, at least in some places, continue to push with push for vaccines and more egregiously implementing policies or passing laws that criminalise almost people for not getting a vaccine. At yeah. this point, can you imagine for the cold? Criminalising people? We'll just throw up the... We'll just throw up a few articles here. I mean, just to remind people, the first RT one. It's presented as a, as protests, but it just speaks to the Austrian government, which is bizarrely... It's, uh, it's one thing that really boggles my mind is why particular governments go really full... <laughs> full totalitarianism you know um these are obviously people are protesting in the streets and stuff but if you just go down at towards the bottom it just gives you a breakdown or a, a brief summary of <clears throat> what's going on in austria in november the austrian government signals intentions to make vaccine against covid19 mandatory and parliament is scheduled to vote on the issue this coming week if mandatory vaccination plans are passed, and they probably will be, Austrians could face, will face actually, repeated fines of thousands of euros for remaining unvaccinated. Yeah. Uh, that's, so that's what they're facing. I mean, you're talking here about the X number of few million Austrians who have not been vaccinated from February, sometime in February, being fined uh, increasingly on a scale, an increasing scale of, of you know, significant amount of money per individual for not being vaccinated. So it's one step away from being put in prison, right? I mean, because you, if, you if you break the law, you can get fined, you don't go to prison. Well, if you so don't pay your fines... Then you might. Well, they've, they've said that that, that won't be... Non-payment won't transfer to a, a criminal prosecution, but that could change easily. Mm. They've said that, that, you know, that was one of the kind of amendments, I think, you know. Uh, and the next one is Greece, which is quietly in the background there, <laughs> being... Uh, this has been on the books for quite a while. Um, it's happening already. The Greek Prime Minister has made a final appeal to the country's senior citizens to get inoculated before monthly punishments for violating the country's vaccination mandate kicking next week. So this week, this coming week. So this is for everybody who's over 60 and still unvaccinated uh, will be fined 50 euros from Monday and 100 euros each month from February unless they get vaccinated. Um 
And this is despite the fact that 90% of those citizens over 60 have already been vaccinated. Mm. So this is targeted against 10% of the senior citizens in Greece are going to be punished with fines that the most, a lot of them can't afford for not being vaccinated. By effectively having their pension reduced. Right. For not being vaccinated against something that poses no danger to them. All proceeds will go to the country's health system. So yes. it's a kind of a regressive tax, which is interesting because while that sounds extreme, it's also being floated in other countries at the front end where there are governments are suggesting um, taxing the unvaccinated specific amounts support, uh, supposedly to make up for the fact they're, to, they're an extra burden on the healthcare system. Right. So it's, that's what's being touted in Australia and I think it's being floated in North America as well. Right. And of course, honourable mention to France who has just within the past couple of days pretty much instituted a vaccine pass, has turned their health pass modified it into being only vaccine pass a beforehand if you could get a test of some description somehow you could continue to engage in all, all social activities or all uh, social life uh, but now from today basically starting now uh, it's only if you're vaccinated if you're not vaccinated if you can't show a vaccine certificate of some description you're not allowed into restaurants bars cinemas blah 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 and Fully vaccinated, which means Full. three. Yes, three shots. I, well, it depends on when you've been vaccinated. If it's if you've been if your double dose was before June sometime, then uh, you have to get the third one. If it's after June or July, um, you're okay with your double vaccination for a while, of course. But that'll run out, right? Within a couple of months, it'll be you have to get a booster. Again, it's about forcing people to get vaccinated and boosted. A third vaccination, forcing people to get one, two, or three, or all of them, uh, at a time when all, pretty much all recognized authorities are saying that this pandemic is over. Why would they be doing that? Well, my first thought was this inertia. They've been on such a drive. They don't want Boosters, to back down. Vaccines, now fines. <clears throat> Austria's on the leading edge of that, where they're mandating everyone, period, be mm. vaccinated, to do anything, to, to be in Austria, to be breathing air. I mean, that's the, definitely the, the full edge of that. In Greece, it's, you know, more selective. Mm -hmm. In France, it's more selective too because it's, it doesn't apply to... Everyone's not being forced, yeah. Access to yeah. buy food. Right. Um, what about the UK? Bojo. Bit of a scandal, uh, ongoing running scandal with floppy-headed Bojo and his friends all throughout, Part, the, throughout the entire pandemic really display, yeah, displaying clear evidence that they did not take any of the rules seriously. The rules that they were passing on or imposing on the entire population, they didn't take them seriously. If you just throw up the Daily Mail article there, it's a good headline, uh, a fridge too far. This is, of course, there's been revelations coming out, you know, as days pass. And this is summation of them was that Downing Street held wine time Fridays every single week throughout the pandemic. And now staff are being accused of taking a suitcase to Tesco Metro to fill up with booze and having a drinks fridge delivered in December 2020. So they were just living it up, probably snorting cocaine, all sorts of stuff. Uh, snogging each other, uh, you know, naked twister, the whole works. Uh, throughout the entire pandemic when they were... So they'd come from a, a, a session of naked twister and coke and 
you know, uh, Prosecco, and they clean themselves up and stand out in front of the ca- cameras and tell everybody to uh, that they need to stay at home and not see their grannies and not go to the funeral of your. Yeah. In in one particularly devastating one, they they said there was a party at Downing Street the day before the Queen mm. had to be on her own at her husband's funeral. Yeah. yeah. So I'm not sure. I obviously let's let's state the obvious first. You know, this is outrage mm-hmm. in the UK, understandably, um, deservedly, but. <laughs> I don't trust. It's not a trust. Not a matter of trust. The issue is like the British media and the British government just go from scandal to scandal. And water off a duck's back. Yeah, nothing happens. Nothing. I mean, what might happen here seriously is that Boris Johnson will resign. He's got the whole part of his back. Except you know what happened this week whenever it came out when the latest revelation about him being at a party uh, the night before the Queen was forced to isolate mm. on her own and couldn't have any family around her at her husband's funeral. Uh, he was at a party. And when that came out, the day after he announced or his spokesman, spokesperson announced that Boris had, one of his family members had tested positive and that he was therefore out of an abundance of caution going to isolate yeah, himself for a week that. and therefore he would not be in the public eye for a week. So in, in, you know, in, in response to him being accused of exploiting the COVID fear and COVID hysteria uh, you know, uh, to, to impose penalties or impose restrictions on other people while, they, while he, he ignored them, in response to being outed as having done that, he doubles down and uses yeah. COVID to escape the limelight, escape escape the spotlight. Yeah, it's pretty. It, it doesn't get much more cynical than that, you know. Um, here's here's another cynical take, though. Um, this will be used to bring in a government that does follow the rules, that does believe this is a deadly virus, because that's that's what you should be taking from this that everyone in government who issued advice these last two years in the United Kingdom didn't believe it. They didn't believe this was the plague. They didn't even believe this was a particularly bad flu. Right. They carried on. In fact, they used the downtime to increase the fun. Yeah. You know what I mean? To, to, they, they didn't believe it to that extent, to the extent of all the drinking the parties that went on. Yeah. So my fear is that this is going to be used to get in a government who does believe, believes hard. Not necessarily that there's a killer virus. That would be scary. But that this is this is like we should lock people in. <laughs> On the basis of what? <laughs> Look at Israel. <clears throat> yeah. That kind of scenario. Well, you know, there's something else... Um, um, and we talked about quite a while ago now, obviously, at the beginning of this quote-unquote pandemic, um, about how governments around the world treated residents, care home residents, very badly. Elderly in care homes, they basically kicked them out of hospital where they were receiving treatment back into care homes and left them there with no primary health care and left them basically to die. Uh, 
through neglect, effectively. And that was a major, a major part of uh, the specific numbers, uh, the, the, the spike in numbers, let's say, of deaths in the first couple of months. I mean, there was a British Medical Journal article that we referenced quite, quite a few times at the time showing that over the, over the, I think it was the month of May just, maybe it was over April and May, uh, that there were uh, 20,000 excess deaths over those two months, extra deaths in, in care homes in the UK that were not attributed to COVID. So um, that was something that was pretty galling and something, but, you know, nobody cared apparently, nobody did anything about it. It was government, government carelessness, basically. Government, that is an example that evidence that government did not care about elderly people at all, despite the fact that they, that was the primary, the main refrain, right? Protect the elderly. Lock yourself in your house, don't see your families, don't see your parents, grandparents, because to protect the elderly, mm -hmm. while the government was not protecting them at all, actually treated them like so much dead wood. Um, the same is happening again as a result of vaccines. Uh, if you just throw up that um, first one I sent to Scotty, um, this is from Sky News. Um, it's actually from November, but this is an ongoing thing. People in residential care dying alone and neglected amid dangerously low staffing levels. Now, dangerously low staffing levels is because of the way government government policy towards care homes and the stress that people uh, working in care homes have been under. But a big part of it is vaccination, where the vaccine mandates. There's a lot of people who work in care homes uh, who quit, who 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 are who don't do not want to get the vaccine. And uh, and have not just quit, well, quit and also been forced out. They're now being forced out uh, because they're not vaccinated. There was certain, depending on the country, there was a certain time frame in which you had to get vaccinated. If you weren't vaccinated by that point, you're fired. Yeah. And again, who suffers? Well, the residents of care homes, right? You just go to the next one after that. It's not that was the UK. Uh, that one's the UK. The next one. This is in Calgary. Staffing shortages key concern as Alberta's continuing care homes battle fifth wave. Uh, again, staff shortages for the for the same reason, and then uh, the third one is an, another one. You can find more of these. It basically seems to be a, a pattern across the Western world. Ohio's nursing homes are bracing for potential staff exodus as the courts uphold a vaccine mandate. So again, they're mandating vaccines on relatively young people who work in care homes, looking after the elderly. They're man they're forcing them to bas they're basically firing them, forcing them to leave their jobs. Uh, because they won't get a vaccine against a virus that poses no threat to them. And the result is is that they're significantly impacting the quality of life and, in many cases, death of elderly people in care homes. What does that say about government policy and the governments who are actually standing over this policy? Um, if anybody would like to give me a positive spin on that, feel free, but um, I can't think of one. Anyway, that's the state of the world on, <clears throat> well, let's just do, let's go back to the start. There's a couple of videos, uh, just run through them quickly. Uh, the first two, tw Twitter ones, Scotty. Um, two sides of the world, basically. Almost the antipode. This one is uh, unvaccinated protesters arrested in New York City tonight. Well, they weren't actually unvaccinated protesters. They're unvaccinated diners who were dining inside uh, an Olive Garden restaurant in New, York's, in New York City. And the cops came and, um, well, you could just play it there and you'll see a little bit. Yeah. 
Wake up. Yeah. Oh, keep going, yeah. Shaman, tell me what happened. My civil rights 1964 Act has been unlawfully taken away from folks. Basically, you know what happened? I got arrested. They arrested people trying to eat out. I was guarding. That's what happened. Not vaccinated. What Alright. You can jump to the next one. There's just a stream of people they arrest coming out of there that they found without a vaccine certificate. So you're arrested. That's New York City. Uh, this is maybe this is the other side of the world, obviously, um, Australia. Summertime down there. Um, Cops coming to try and close a bar that is open, bar slash restaurant, and it's a bit more heartening. With honour we serve. Please, please. I need you to listen to me. My name is Ray Vandenbosch. I'm an acting senior sergeant at Queensland Police. He's not here. Three people that are preventing me from entering the bar are obstructing police. He's got a sword. 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 The people have spoken. This is also a political protest which is civilly and constitutionally protected. So your badge, your uniform, is gone. Don't push him. Don't assault him. With honour, you serve. Prove it. With honour, you serve. With honour, you serve. Act in honour. People in shirts, inside the shirt. Don't you feel embarrassed doing this, mate? Seriously. You're getting bacterial pneumonia wearing those masks. Hypoxia, which is lack of oxygen. Hypercarbia, hypercapnia, which is elevated CO2. You're giving yourself cancer. Your bosses don't care about you. You look like a fucking Smurf bred with an X-Man. Jesus. That's my personal opinion. Nice doesn't cut it. I don't think you're very nice standing here hustling a business owner trying to support his family. Okay? So we'll, we'll agree to disagree on what you think is nice. Nice. Not very nice what you guys are doing to this owner, mate. Where's the love? Where's the compassion? Where's the honour? Disgraceful, acting senior sergeant. Disgraceful. Dishonourable and Australian. And Australian. And Australian. Good. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, it's good to see that some Australians are kind of like taking a bit of a stand, and especially you can see it's happening. The thing is, it's seasonal. This, you know what I mean? Uh, Australia is obviously, well, as everybody knows, Australia has gone full. I don't know, full convict, full convict colony, colony, what? 
We have an Australian question, actually, in the comments. It yeah. says, why do governments go full retard? Why do they go full retard? Yeah. Compar some of them compared to others. Oh. Or all of them. I think they're all going to be there someday. Well, as we've said, yeah, if they're all going to be there someday, then if you paint them all with the same brush, as we've said repeatedly on, on the show, um, people need to understand, get out of their heads the idea that government is there to serve, uh, or that government is Which there is to... Which is one of those guys... Right, all that Shattered. is trying to tell them, which mm. obviously they're not doing. Government is not there to serve. It's, it's that's just a sop, uh, a way to manipulate people into, into you know, accepting government or <clears throat> believing in government. Let's say, um, or that they're there to care for you. Most people have this, like we've said before, uh, this kind of dysfunctional relationship with government, where they see it as kind of like their mommy and daddy. There's an emotional relationship in that respect with a lot of people not everybody but a lot of people and so they have to believe that mommy and daddy are caring right so it's automatic it's a social contract you we give power to you and you do the right thing by us uh, but governments and pe are made up of people and um they're not there to serve they're there to control they very quickly understand and have for a very long time obviously that their main job is to control people not care about them now control can be kind of compassionate control or caring control possibly depending on the person but there's obviously a serious corruption problem uh, in government has been long has been there for a long time where uh, the the um, the ethos or the the ideology amongst politicians is is that they're there to um, serve themselves to enrich themselves to benefit themselves first and foremost and once they start down that path they immediately start very quickly start to have a uh, an antagonist, antagonistic, and uh, not very, not very close or positive or friendly attitude or relationship with the people anymore. Because the more you engage in kind of, you know, mild to begin with corrupt corruption and uh, self self enrichment, um, the more you instinctively see that the people are a threat to you continuing to do that or even are, are a threat to your job if that was ever to be exposed, you know, to the little clique, the little, little operation you've got going there with you and all your other political friends, basically. So very quickly, the population become seen as the other and the one that's not just there to be controlled, but is also potentially a threat to me individually as a politician and to the entire uh, political establishment. So... Uh, people need to get out of their heads the idea that the government actually cares about them or is well disposed towards them. At this point in history, they're not uh, well disposed. They see you as, at the very least, uh, a potential threat to them. And therefore, any opportunity that comes along that provides you uh, uh, options or the means to control the population, to lock them down, to squeeze them, to restrict their movement, to restrict their, 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 their thinking... Uh, and to manipulate their thinking, uh, then they're going to take it and they're going to run with it. They're going to be um, on board. Most of them are going to be on board. There's a few, obviously, who don't like to see that, don't like and realise, understand that that's not what they they personally got into politics for. But when they look around them, they see very few other people like that. They see the overwhelming majority of other politicians who are either willing to just keep their heads down and you know carry on with the system or others who are um, would be actively against them uh, trying to do what, do right by the people or do their job properly or whatever, you know, it's not, it's way beyond that point. And people have lots of evidence for that, you know what I mean? And, and they, 
they have for many years complained about it periodically. They see evidence of corruption in government and they say politicians are corrupt, blah, 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 blah. But in this situation, apparently, that doesn't apply anymore. For some bizarre reason, that knowledge and that awareness they have that uh, government is generally corrupt from the top down, maybe most corrupt at the top and then degrees of corruption as you come down the pyramid, they know that, they recognise that, they talk about it with, each, with, with their friends, with their families, they post about it in social media, uh, they read about it uh, in the media, in the mainstream media, but when it comes to coronavirus, apparently that's not, or the pandemic, that's not, that can't enter into it, that can't be part of it for some reason. The corruption aspect can't be part of it, therefore everything the government says, um, like a big section of the British population, for example, would say that everything the government has ever said, the government at the time, or whatever government was in position of power at the time of Brexit, that everything the government says about Brexit is false. A big section, maybe mm. you know, 30, 40% of the British population would say that. But those same people can't say that about the pandemic. Yeah. Go figure. Yeah. Because maybe it gets back to what we said before, is that this is a lived experience for people. It's real. It's true. What, what it was a real pandemic. There really were deaths. All those deaths were with COVID. Sorry, so, or sorry, were from COVID, not with COVID, because we saw it. They they experienced it uh, vicariously, either directly through someone they might have known, or certainly vicariously for most people uh, through the media. All the deaths. They locked themselves down. They couldn't see their families. We experienced it. it was a real experience for me. Therefore, it's real. Therefore, they're not inclined to believe. Anything that goes yeah. against that, even if it's on the BBC today, yeah. they have a difficulty going against it. Because the BBC today is is effectively in published, the BBC and other media and, and other authorities are effectively by saying, by mentioning that uh, with and from COVID, they're undermining the lived experience of hundreds of millions of people. So you get to the point where they can say that and the people won't believe it. Yeah. People have believed everything the media and authorities have said all along, uh, mo a lot of it being lies. But now when the media turns around and tells the truth, the people turn around and won't believe yeah. the truth. So it's, 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 it's just so messed up. It's, I don't know what to do about it. Bring on the, bring on the comments or something. Bring on a volcano in the middle of <laughs> where somewhere. I don't know. Uh, you want to talk about that? Uh... Well, let's do that at the end. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> First of all, I want to talk about tanks on European streets. I saw that in Sweden. What is that all about, man? Well, we know what it's about. Stick it up there, Scotty. <clears throat> RT. Tanks on European streets due to a Russian threat. Guess where this is? This is Sweden. Uh so, explain it to us there, Neil. So, <clears throat> the Swedish government has moved tanks into position uh, on this Baltic Sea island of Gotland. Gotland? I don't know how you pronounce that. Gotland, yeah. <clears throat> if you scroll down to the Scotty, it says it's in anticipation of a potential Russian ground, ground war invasion through the Baltic Sea. A rapid response tactical unit of the Swedish armed forces has been deployed. God help us. <clears throat> the Swedish military said the effort should be seen, i.e. 
this is what we want you to believe. It doesn't matter about the reality of it. Should be seen as part of Sweden adapting a strategy to, quote, to the tense situation between Russia and Ukraine. Okay. Sweden's a long way from Ukraine, so... Obviously, there's no real threat, but I don't know. Well... It's not just Sweden, though. I mean, everyone is being put on a war footing up and down the Russian border. Let's do this didactically. We need some graphics to to succinctly explain what's going on here. So there's Russia on the right. There's Ukraine down below it on Russia border. Funny, who made this map? I've coloured Ukraine and Belarus the same as Russia. <gasps> Check that out. This must be like a Russia, Russo, Russophilic uh, map maker. Um. Because you'd almost think Ukraine and Belarus were part of Russia there, no? Not with that colouring. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Russia's problem is that, you know, as we said in previous shows, US coup 2014 in Ukraine, took over Ukraine, militarised it, nationalised it, imposed, you know, put in place very anti-Russian nationalistic government, uh, have been training the Ukrainian army, building it up, to threaten Russia, basically, because Russia doesn't like any enemy, basically, uh, on its borders. Always wanted a buffer zone, and Ukraine is no longer a buffer zone for Russia. Uh, but, of course, and if you've got Belarus there, and you've got the the kind of Baltic states, Latvia, Lithuania. But um, look at where Sweden... Not, not well, Sweden. So we're talking about Sweden in this article. Sweden putting tanks in the streets and Scotland. It's a little island off uh, off the coast of Scotland. There, basically, uh, <laughs> we we actually we can actually uh, we can read it. But I just want to show that map and show you. Keep in mind, Sweden and Finland. Finland. My point here in showing this map is that Finland is on Russia's border, uh-huh. and uh, in terms of Ukraine, Russia's problem is no further expansion uh, eastwards of NATO. Yeah. Uh, and the US taking over Ukraine basically is a tantamount to an expansion of NATO or potentially an expansion of NATO. Uh, even if Ukraine doesn't join NATO, it could be more or less like part of NATO in the sense of you know stationing, stationing US uh, missiles, etc. On, right on Russia's border. So that's a big no-no. It's the same for America. It didn't want any foreign missiles in Cuba or anywhere close to American borders. Uh, so they would have the same response. So it's totally understandable that Russia has this as a red line, but Amer- apparently the Americans don't really care and they're willing to antagonize and poke and torment the Russian bear for some... Well, we've talked about we've talked about that previously on other shows as well. But just keep in mind, there's Finland and Sweden, which are not NATO members as mm-hmm. of now, but could be at any moment, right? In which case, Finland would be... Well, in pretty much exactly the same situation as Ukraine, right? It would be yeah. responded to in exactly the same way. The Finnish by Russia. government signaled it might do so, right, as week. a threat, and also Sweden. So, just go back to the article. Um, so, <laughs> you have armored vehicles pictured rolling through the streets of a Swedish town as military said tensions between Russia. So suddenly, there's tensions between well, there's tensions between Russia and Ukraine, and suddenly there's tensions now between Russia and Sweden for some bizarre reason. Uh, so they've ramped up the security on the largest Baltic Sea island of Gotland with a view to adapting its security strategy. 
to the tense situation on the Russia-Ukrainian border. So, rapid response tactical unit of the Swedish Armed Forces deployed to the island, the military said in a statement. Um, a part of the unit was flown in on Friday evening by the US C-17 heavy transport aircraft. Anyway, the Swedish military said that the effort should be seen as part of Sweden adapting its strategy to the tense situation between Russia and Ukraine. Um, Moscow dismissed the statements as the statements about Russia planning to invade Ukraine as fake news. Anyway, the deployment does not have to mean an increased threat, the Swedish Armed Forces Chief of Operations said. Um, but they've also said that they saw increased Russian activity in the Baltic Sea, which deviates from the normal picture. Uh, it's This island is presented as Sweden's most vulnerable place. Now get this, two paragraphs down. Uh, well, actually, one paragraph. German tabloid Bild went even further, specifically linking the surprise Swedish deployment to Russia's recent decision to move three of its heavy landing ships from the Barents Sea in the Arctic Ocean to the Baltic Sea. Hmm. Citing an anonymous Stockholm official, official, it's always best to be anonymous in these things when you're talking shit, the paper said the Swedish army has been on alert in case Russian President Vladimir Putin decides to use the ships to capture Gotland. Should Putin plan anything against the Baltic countries, he would first have to take Gotland. <laughs> we see the Russian troop movements and we have to take this scenario seriously. According to the source, Moscow might be tempted to deploy its S-14 air defence systems to the island of Gotland to cut off the Baltic states from, the, from NATO air support. The paper has provided no evidence that a plan to invade and occupy part of Sweden has ever been considered by Russia, but it's all good, right? It's grist for the mill. Um, so yeah, um, yeah, on the very bottom, at the very bottom there, the point that, you know, what, how this ties in obviously is on Saturday, former NATO general, NATO secretary general Rasmussen said in an interview with a Finnish, Finnish outlet that a Russian attack would provoke a discussion in Finland and Sweden regarding future NATO membership. So this is, it, 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 it gets you into what's going on behind the scenes with these talks and the, the way that the talks between the US and Russia are going nowhere, nothing comes out of them, but what's actually being planned by both sides, independent of any talking with each other, how they're very suspicious of each other and how they're making contingency plans behind the scenes, right? So obviously one part of it was would be one of the threats that they would, uh, or that they're um, leveling against Russia if they do anything in Ukraine is that if you if you go near Ukraine, if you invade Ukraine, as we as we keep complain, claiming you're going to, uh, Sweden and Finland will take them. would immediately will take them will immediately become part of NATO, and of course then Russia has double trouble, right? It's so obsessed with Ukraine not being part of NATO, uh, but if it does anything about that, you're going to have Ukraine plus Finland, the other you know sizable country really only other sizable country on your border as a part of NATO. So you can see how that's really, yeah. they're tormenting the Russians in that respect. You know, they're really putting the, putting the, turning the screws on them, you know, yeah. and that they're not happy about it, obviously. Yeah. But it also shows that de facto, the US military can already reach into a non-NATO NATO member yeah. and stage a stunt like this to hold the to hold the threat against right. Russia. I mean, it, it may as well be part of NATO. It may as well be part of NATO. The U.S. can move anywhere. The point is the U.S. wants access to every corner of the earth. It doesn't believe anywhere should block it off. Right. 
But the same applies to China. You don't get to decide where we go, what we see, what we do. That's, that's the issue. And they will go into any country. They can do already. They already <clears throat> that they can do that in Sweden. And non-NATO members, it speaks volumes. Yeah. Um, it speaks volumes about how furious the US is that Russia, and they have been furious for a very long time against Russia, as people should know by now, of all of, due to all of the, the, uh, the black ops and the, and the black propaganda that's been used against Russia over the past what, seven, eight, nine, ten years. Uh, the Americans have been extremely angry uh, at Russia for simply defying American uh, hegemony or American uh, hegemonic intentions in the world, pushing back against them and thwarting them in different places. They've been incensed by that. And, you know, you don't see it coming out. I mean, you, you know, they, they don't, there are no spittle-flecked rants uh, from the U.S. State Department against Russia, but you can, you know, you can infer just how pissed off they are by the way that they, what, well, what they've been doing, basically, you know. Um, just go to the next one there, Scotty. It's just, uh, it's your favourite, your favourite person, Neil. Um, well, that is, that is pretty close for a spittle fact rant. Her? <laughs> Newland. That's as close as it gets, except yeah. there's no spittle, yeah. right? The US. Sharp <coughs> yeah. pain. So they've got 18 different scenarios, apparently, if you scroll down to the third paragraph. I'm not going to preview 18 different scenarios, Newland said. I would simply say that our commitment and the conversation that we have with our allies is around conflicting very sharp pain very fast if Russia moves one finger well, to it, touch my Ukraine and fuck the EU. <laughs> <laughs> That's, of course, what she's infamous for. Um, it's, it, I mean, it's... I, I don't know what to say. COVID leaves you speechless. Just so people, this just, sort of shit leaves me speechless. This is the woman who said, fuck the EU. Yeah. Right? So okay. that is the attitude that the Americans have as they go into any country they want anywhere on the goddamn European continent and do whatever the fuck they want. Yeah. All day, every day, all the time. And she can say whatever she wants. Who's in charge? Not the national governments. The European Union isn't. And it's all inexorably leading to, well, I, I was going to say World War Three, but it, it is and it isn't because, thank, I suppose, on the one hand, thank God because Russia will never actually fall for the bait. On the other hand, damn it, I wish they would to try and end this interminable fucking standoff where there's the illusion of democracy and sovereign nations. And the, you know, the U.S. says that in its response to Russia's request to answer specific, eight specific questions it had mm -hmm. about what the U.S. was doing in Eastern Europe and Ukraine. Mm -hmm. They actually said, uh, specifically they said, one of Russia's eight points was, Ukraine is not to join NATO. Please let us both agree on that. The United States official response this week during the high-level talks um, with the Russian government was, no, Ukraine is a sovereign government. Ukraine democratically gets to decide what it wants to do with its own. And you have that, you, when you have that attitude coming from people who basically run that government, yeah. well, what can you do? What can you, you just hope for it to be? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> they want you to use the fish, Neil. Or, uh, it's... 
yeah. And, I mean, Russia has, yeah, well, yeah, you just said it, basically, and it's it's standard operating procedure for the CAA and the State Department in Ukraine. Just throw up the Yahoo News article there just as uh, evidence for it. We can just do the first, well, we can just do the, the headline, really. Um, don't know about yet. <clears throat> CIA trained Ukrainian paramilitaries may take role, central role if Russia invades. CIA is overseeing a secret intensive training program in the US for elite Ukrainian special operations forces and other intelligence personnel, according yeah, they, to five they, former they, they leaked this. They don't mind this being known yeah. now. That they've been doing that for a long time. Especially Obama launched this program. He was... He gave the okay for the U.S. military to recruit Ukrainians who were then trained in bases in the United States in the same model as the stay-behind units back during the first Cold War. Mm. Um, <clears throat> ostensibly, the idea is if Russia invades Ukraine, of course, they have insurgency units ready to go. Or dare I say, if you just throw up that next one, the same model as this. Dramatic pause. Yeah. They certainly have no lack of experience of training um, terrorists, which is what they've effectively been doing in Ukraine. Yeah. It's the same. It's to see it here. It's about ISIS being trained by, or Al-Qaeda anyway. Mm-hmm. By Western forces, um, the CIA specifically. That that operation is well known. It's covered the Operation Timber Sycamore. Mm-hmm. Obama approved to train jihadis, moderates, so called. It's the same with Ukraine. Um, there's nothing moderate about these people. The liver eaters. Democratic about these people. They're nuts. You remember the liver eater that they were training? The who? The liver eater. Uh, I think it was an, a Nostra guy in, in Syria. Yeah. It was filled himself uh, eating some. Guy who killed his liver, uh, cutting his organs out and eating. He was that was one of the CIA linked uh, adepts, basically in Syria. So that's the kind of people. But there's also, I mean, we shouldn't. I mean, we talk about this, you know, Russia, US, Ukraine. There's obviously financial motives in all of this as well. We talked about it previously. About I mentioned last week, I think, about uh, the US wanting to terrified of losing Europe to Russia, which is why Nord Stream is central in, in this in terms of Russian gas supply, which is significant to, to Europe and that increasing European dependency on Russia and America being terrified of that because ultimately they see that they might lose Russia politically or diplomatically or whatever to, um, and therefore, and ultimately economically to, uh, to the to the east, let's say, to Russia and to, to further east. But if you just go to the next, um, the, the next article points that out, uh, the RT, US seeking ways to profit should Russia-Ukraine conflict break out, because obviously there's a major profit here. They, 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 they really want Russia to do something uh, in Ukraine that justifies them sanctioning, uh, putting these swift, immediate, sharp, painful sanctions, i.e. Which, uh, among which would be uh, completely mothballing or cancelling Nord Stream 2, which means that suddenly Europe is much more reliant on American LNG, yeah. liquefied natural gas. So there's, I mean, this is Ted Cruz, the guy, you know, all the anti-leftists love to love uh, because he's such a, a swell guy. He tried to impose, to, he, he 
introduced a bill to impose sanctions without Russia doing anything, immediate sanctions on Nord Stream 2 because he comes from Texas mm. and there's a lot of LNG producers in Texas and they would be a boon for them if Nord Stream 2 gets, gets nixed. So there's a whole a lot of financial motivation behind all of this as well. You know, it's very cynical in that respect, you know. Yeah. Uh, the other thing, if, if you just go to the next one, just skipping through these pretty quickly, um, that I've been, you know, interested, I suppose, to, to note is um, previous to this, Russia had claimed that the US was planning a provocation in Ukraine yeah. with chemical weapons. Yeah. In the same way they had done in Syria, on several occasions uh, and, and there's then, some evidence for that there is some evidence for it and in response to that the US claimed yeah. that the US or that Russia was planning a false, false flag, flag to justify so who, who they're, <coughs> both, they're both accusing each other of wanting the other to start something in Ukraine yeah does anybody want to start something in Ukraine I don't know I mean probably the US does like, as we just said but What's it, what I find interesting about this is that, and this is this is just from RT, but it's like it's been across all the mainstream media the same allegations. Um, but they use that term "false flag" as if it's everybody knows false flags. Ah, yeah, they happen yeah. all the time, right? What, yeah. what, what do you mean by false flags? Are you saying like, like, is that the same as nine eleven was an inside job type thing? The one that crazy tinfoil hat conspiracy theorists claims, and now the mainstream media are just using it nonchalantly in their headlines. False flags are just running the middle. Yeah, happens all the time. Or is it the same as this? Scotty, put this one up. This came out this week. Now and then, you know, it it gets out as to who does what. Headline in the Scottish National: Secret Service behind Barcelona terror attacks says ex-cop. So this was a senior Spanish police commander, now retired. <clears throat> For some reason, he's up in court for something. But he's come out and said that the Spanish government, or security services specifically, coordinated, facilitated, conducted, whatever. He said they did it, period. The 2017 terror attacks that took place in Barcelona and the nearby town the day after. I remember that was a guy in a, in, a, in a car or a truck or something truck down the Ramblas. Killed 13 people. Ran over. And then a day later in a seaside town, a bunch of guys jihadis came out of a truck and started shooting people right and johnny on the spot 30 seconds later were special forces to gun them all down gun them all shoot, down. shoot them dead dead men tell no tales <clears throat> uh, so yeah this guy has and interestingly if you turn the bottom of that uh uh well, this guy, Villarejo, is something of an off-the-reservation figure and has been involved with numerous secret operations within with the CNI, that's the Spanish intelligence. Uh, his claims triggered anger in Catalonia. Uh, well, he, first of all, he says, all the evidence is in my archi archives and I authorize their release. Um, he, he claims His claims triggered anger in Catalonia where the government was considering a legal response. Catalan President Perez Aragonés said on social media the 17th of August, which was the attack, was a barbarity that has marked us forever. And if Villarejo's words are true, explanations are needed now. He says, we know very well how the state sewers work. So we demand that they be investigated in order to clarify the truth. That's the president of Catalonia. 
I have also asked the legal services of the government to study these statements and the relevant legal actions that can be taken for the truth, for the victims, for the Catalans and for all those who are on the side of peace and democracy. Yeah. Um, so if you remember back at the time... Uh, just, just to finish that one, he also expressed concern that no one from the state, from the Spanish government, had so far contradicted his statements or said they would be investigated. So we didn't get a, any pushback. Yeah. Yeah. Remember, this was just before the referendum in Catalonia. Right. So this guy says <clears throat> the actual motivation for carrying it out it's was to remind the Catalonians why they need us. Why they thing. need central Why government. you need Madrid, Spain. You're not leaving this country or terror. Of course, it wasn't sold to them like that at the time. It was sold to them like, oh, well, look at that. Jihadis just picked this time to go nuts on Catalonians. Yeah. Well, we'll step in here and help protect you. We'll shoot them dead after we've released them. Mm-hmm. That scenario, right? At the same time, what was also, that was part of the angle. It was, it was a schizoidal time because the West was trying to handle the beast that it had created, ISIS, uh, which had been running terror attacks all over Europe, not just there, of course, for several years. But then Russia comes in in Syria and goes, oh, you have a terrorist problem in Europe. What's this? Puts the fire out. And then the terror attacks just stop. It didn't stop be- so much because there was no longer material ability and capacity to carry it out. I'm pretty sure it stopped because the rationale for having the terror attacks, which was to elicit political currency in Europe by a US or slash Western intelligence agency, was no longer there because... Putin would have gotten all the kudos right. for, for defeating the enemy, mm-hmm. you see? And so, okay, we can't use it anymore. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, at the time, it was, I say it was schizoidal because they were using both excuses. They were saying, well, this is ISIS. They just randomly sprung up in the middle of this contentious political issue between Barcelona and Madrid. And, by the way, the Russian government is coordinating this breakaway referendum. Mm-hmm. They're providing the servers. They're in a league with Julian Assange, Russian government, Russian government, Russian interference in our democracy, Russian, blah, 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 blah. on and on. Mm-hmm. So they use both. Yeah. Well, it's the same hand that's actually, the one that accuses Russia when is t- the same hand that does these kinds of things. Yeah. When you tell a lot of lies, when the lies become so prevalent, it, it, you end up with that with completely contradictory statements from official sources that make no sense whatsoever and that's a good indicator that there's massive large-scale lies being told and, and basically you're ent- most people's understanding or perception of a reality is completely false in the, in the in terms of how the world works and what's actually happening in the world uh, that's definitely an indication of it you know um, but there was I think was it this week that was the was he talking about false flags cyber attacks cyber attack uh, just throw up that one uh, again, capitalizing on it. So Ukraine, the Ukrainian government and various different government websites all had a cyber attack or were subjected to a cyber attack about a week ago. Uh, so in response, NATO uh, jumped in and said, okay, so NATO isn't, Ukraine isn't, isn't going to become a NATO member, but it's bec- going to become a NATO cyber member in a certain sense mm-hmm. because NATO... Uh, and as response, in response to these attacks, has struck a, a kind of signed a cybersecurity deal with Kiev uh, within days of that cyber attack. Now it's just come out supposedly today that yeah. it was Belarus, that it was someone. Ukraine in Belarus. doesn't formally accuse Russia; it accuses Belarus. Right, yeah. but then everybody knows Belarus is owned is by Russia, a so it's, Russia. Bah, it's the same thing, right? Yeah. So whatever. Um, Did you see what the message said? Supposedly, yeah. you go to every homepage of every Ukrainian.gov website, and the message read: "Here's the." 
actual message. Ukrainian, exclamation mark. All your personal data has been uploaded to the public network. Stop. All data on the computer is destroyed. Stop. It is impossible to restore them. Stop. All Be afraid and wait for the worst. Stop. All, all your bases are ours. This is for you, for your past, present and future. For Volnia, I think that's Western Ukraine, for the OUN-UIA, which is the CIA-backed Ukrainian terrorists going back to the 1940s, basically Nazis. For Galicia, Western Ukraine. For Polici, I think that's a part of Ukraine that's now Poland. And for all historical lands. <laughs> that was the actual message. That it's meant, it, on the surface, you're meant to read that as a Westerner and go, gosh, those poor Ukrainians. That's horrible. What they Imagine them having all... The, that's really, that's really, who would say something like that to Ukrainians? Really trying to push all their buttons like that. <laughs> Obviously, then, it's only a Russian who could say mm -hmm. such things to really hurt poor Ukrainians. It sounds, it sounds but like as a, if any Ukrainian is actually scared. It by sounds it. like a Slavic version of a caliphate. You know what I mean? They're advocating for a Slavic caliphate. You know, it's, it's like a white well, Western ISIS. Well, they have a bill lined up in, in Congress in the United States, should Russia do anything wrong. Mm. To hold Russia as something like the chief sponsor of terrorism on the earth mm. and for all its right. government, i.e. the president on down, yeah. to be sponsors of terrorism. Forever. So they're, they're going full retard, yeah. We thought, we thought in 2015 when Putin did Syria, ah, oh, he just killed the whole terrorism angle. But seven years later, you can see how they would like to actually, they still think they can turn the ship around mm -hmm. and just, okay, Forget the caliphate. It's, you know, the, the Moscow duchy. It's, it's, yeah, yeah. The, the, the Moscow caliphate. The, the, well, he, Putin's like, uh, he's like the head of ISIS who wants to establish a Russian caliphate over all of Europe, you know. He's going to claim that all European peoples are actually Russian and uh, they all need to be taken back home under the, into the arms of Mother Russia. But, so yeah, the, the cyber attack is interesting because around the same time, actually, if you just throw up the Bloomberg, Bloomberg article there, Scotty, um, the EU, EU announced that it is planning is going to stage large scale cyber attack exercise on supply chains, no less. Mm. So the simulation is starting this week, which was like this past week, and it's continuing on for six weeks, which gives us a good time frame. So over the next six weeks, we can keep an eye on, uh, I suppose, keep an eye on news about cyber attacks that affect the supply chains, which obviously that's what would be the problem. That's, that's what would cause a problem with supply chains, right? There's no problem, problem with the supply chains right now due to two years of feckless uh, right. government policies around the pandemic, but rather uh, it's to do with, it would be, to, if anything happens, it'll be because there's a cyber attack. And now that we know that Russia slash Belarus carried out a cyber attack on Ukraine, any cyber attack that attack that that has an effect on global or European supply chain uh, mechanisms will definitely be Russia that did it. Right, we know that in advance now. This and if it happens during this exercise, well, all the better, right? Yeah, <clears throat> we we've spoken in the past before about how, when it comes down to it, Moscow and Washington have yet to engage in any kind of a full, a frontal hot war with each other since 1945 and because it, it'll lead to mad, mutually assured destruction. So there's kind of a natural, so to speak, injunction against it. Mm -hmm. um, 
and then we've spoken also about um, there be never, nevertheless being some leeway for them to act on the global stage within within those parameters. So Putin can counter in Syria, um, piss off the empire to no end, and they can't really frontally attack it back, mm. except through information stunts, uh, actual bloody stunts, perhaps the downing of an aircraft or two, that kind of thing either blamed on Russia or simply done to Russia to make them think twice about continuing to, to expand their economic influence right. and their partnership with China in the East. Um, so the, the, the cyber angle, this has been mentioned before Russia was bought into it because there's a whole, isn't there a whole great reset stick where they're like, you know, the coming cyber pandemic or something. For sure, it's yeah. In, it's in Klaus Schwab's book and so on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, and it's it, up there it, with, it's, uh, with, a pand with an actual, you've an got actual viral, pandemic. viral pandemic and they've, you've got a cyber, cyber pandemic in a way. Cyber. And it's framed and it's going to be a natural consequence. Somebody's going to push a button wrong somewhere that will collapse the internet. Mm. Thus, the internet of things. No, not push a button wrong. Some malign actor will actually try and take right. it down through some deliberate action. And right. Of course, it'll be blamed on Russia and it'll be the, the group that did it will be called Fancy Bear. <laughs> uh, Fancy, they'll probably call themselves Fancy Russian Bear. Yeah. Just to be clear, you know, just in case to mask its origin. Yeah. No, but what I was going to say was this is also fair game. If only because they will never actually engage, I think, more likely is that the key to that um, European Union cyber attack drill lies in having a Cold War rationale for why shit's gone foobar. Mm -hmm. The supply yeah. chain thing is to account for the, the fact on the ground that supply chains are disrupted right. from the lockdowns, right. from crop shortages, right. from food from shortages, from weather events. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's Volcanoes. It's not just that there won't actually be a war. The, even the, the apparent engagement of it is all shadow boxing. Even if Russia does not engage properly, come on, Russia, play your role. They don't have At to. At least spar with us, pretend to. Yeah, they don't Russia's have to. just standing there going, what are you doing? Yeah. They don't have to because America and uh, the, the board <laughs> as a whole can, can fight in a fantasy fight that tacks on to real world things that are going on and plausibly explains them. Mm -hmm. And you know, you can go all the oh, way yeah. with it. Well, and this was very successfully put by the astronomer, British astronomer, Victor Klube, back in the 1980s, mm. when he realized, holy schmuck, the, the actual threat potential from cosmic objects, asteroids, comets to this planet, while not imminent, he wasn't, you know, a doomsayer. He said, realistically, it is within human timescales for us to face a civilization ending event. Mm. It is an ongoing threat on a longer scale. Mm -hmm. And that when it comes down to it, that's the only real threat. The only real climate change, environmental threat, the only real threat pandemic-wise, because it's, of course, associated with the Black Death and plague events, real pandemics, and so on. So governments, what are they going to do with that? Well, he says what they're going to do is they're going to have a Cold War Instead of mm -hmm. a cosmic war, which they can win, they don't know how to fight. Where are these objects? When are these objects coming? They don't know. We cannot fight that. Mm -hmm. What we can do is keep everyone engaged in the here and now, mm -hmm. in the 
what's going on, keep them distracted, basically. Mm-hmm. So that we'll never have to actually tell them the reality of what life on this planet is like. Mm-hmm. And they will never, of course, rise up and throw us out. Right. Which has happened within human timescales. And we're pretty sure that cometary spaceborne factors were a key part in that. Mm-hmm. Certainly at the collapse of Rome, mm-hmm. which, you know, isn't that long ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's uh, it's interesting that they that they use that that quote by Klub and also um, that it was true, you know, that they used the U.S. used the um, the threat of the commies to expand their control and, and domination around the world, and then they they didn't miss a beat and they continued on with it after the fall of of the Soviet Union. Russia was obviously the obvious well, the obvious choice to continue. Uh, or to, to continue to play the role, to be used in the role as a kind of like a, an enemy uh, in order to cover up what the, what the US and what the West was doing, but now not for reasons of necessarily global domination, but rather more specifically in terms of managing populations and um, preparing for climate disaster of some description. Yeah. Speaking of which... There's a big old kaboom down in the South Pacific. Yeah. Yesterday? Yesterday. Yesterday. Yeah. Just give us a wee look out there, Scott. There's a couple of videos that are pretty pretty awesome. People have probably seen them ad nauseum already, but um, Hunga Wunga Bunga Munga, <coughs> Volcano, kaboom. That's awesome. That's about 300 kilometers diameter, Yeah, roughly. And you notice about that? Two, about 200 miles. I don't know what time scale that is, but... <clears throat> the winds had no impact on it forming a mushroom cloud. That's how much force it had. And there were more than one. There were multiple shock waves that come out. Yeah. One main one, I suppose. They're the white. If that had happened anywhere close to any landmass, populated landmass, it's kind of like, it's that's a major disaster. Yeah. And people need to wake up because something like that is very possible in, in the not too distant future. And that'll be all short. And in fact, this itself, the amount of debris and dust ejected into the atmosphere is going to have an effect uh, I've I mean, seen a lot to, but it's going to have an effect I, it's early days but I've seen debates between volcanologists and geologists on Twitter and there's there's a school of thought there that's like has anyone calculated the VEI on this which is the volcanic explosive index because above a certain point you're getting into climate changing like I mean within a year right. climate changing type stuff right. the one that caused the the year without summer which was really two years without summer, around 18, 10, 12, mm-hmm. you know, Napoleonic right. Wars that came volcano, to an end yeah. as a result of that. That one was a VEI 6. And some volcanologists are like, this This looks like a 5. We don't know because this is the first time we've had such space visuals right. on it. And the blast wave doesn't really fit anything we're they don't familiar have, with. They've they never have, seen it in real time. They don't have the ability to model it because they haven't had experience of modeling that kind of stuff. They well, have the ability they, to what, model it, but they haven't modeled it What before. they usually do is they calculate the amount of ejecta, the right. volume of ejecta, to right. give you an idea of the blast. But right. it may not be that simple. Even if this actually produces less volume of material in its explosion, it's the shape of... It's the shape of the, vo- the the fact that it could maintain cohesion as a shape against dominant trade winds and a cyclone. There was a cyclone, tropical cyclone Cody was just 200 miles to the south of mm-hmm. that. It had no impact on it forming that mushroom cloud shape. Yep. It did eventually dissipate. I don't know how long after. Was it hours mm-hmm. or just one hour? I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But between between the the structure of a mushroom cloud it maintained and that blast wave you see rapidly going out 
um, there are some experts that are saying that could be like up there with a VEI five or possibly six, yeah. which is the kind of thing the that call. caused years without summer. Yeah, within a period, a couple of hundred yeah. years ago. Within a few months, once it gets around, goes around the globe, yeah. And if there's more, if, if similar events happen or other volcanoes go off and stuff, and of course there have been volcanoes going off repeatedly over the past number of years and stuff that are pumping all that kind of dust up into the, the atmosphere. The one in La Palma, so, of course. Yeah. So uh, it's not looking good, and it's got nothing to do with uh, people um, driving gasoline cars or burning coal, or I China burning coal. I should point out as well that if you've seen videos that cl- are supposedly filmed from a boat watching this just yeah, across the previ- water, that was a previous, that was a previous eruption. Yeah. That wasn't. If you were in that boat now, you were gone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nobody, nobody was around this one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, Tambora eruption, eighteen fifteen. Correct, Aeneas. It was also the bat- year of the Battle of Waterloo. Yeah, people have known. That's a really important part of history. Really an interesting part of history to 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 look into a, of you know, basic volcanoes and other climate events linked to outbreaks of um, plague, but also famine and then ensuing wars throughout history. It seems that those kind of climate events, like which I, by which I mean yeah. volcanoes, earthquakes, that kind of thing, um, are directly related to major events Geopolitical in, 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 in human history. Yeah. Um, but they're usually airbrushed out of it. They're never reported in the actual history. You'll hear about different wars and different battles, but you won't hear about the actual uh, geological event that happened um, right around the same time. You know? Yeah. And which was it that drove the other? <coughs> yeah, well, I'd say it was most likely. The, the, I mean, in the case are, of... Are the case these of the, today aware yeah. broadly and they're like causing a distraction along the lines of what I suggested earlier from, right. from Victor Klub? Yeah. Or are they not aware, but so to speak... But there's something, some unconscious thing driving mm-hmm. them to like, get it all, get it all yeah. now, lock, lock everyone down, down. Yeah. control them all now, quickly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Before, kaboom. Yeah. Well, we'll have to wait and see. And that's exactly what we'll do. Uh, but we'll be keeping up with events as they transpire um, on a weekly basis, at least, as we have been doing. Uh, have you got anything else before we hit the road? Because it's been almost two hours, so I'm all talked out. That's uh, all the news that's fit to talk about, basically. I'm sure there's other stuff, but, you know, we'll get to it. Um, yeah, so thanks um, for watching, guys. Thanks for listening or whatever you're doing. Don't forget to smash all the buttons. We hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks for commenting. Thanks for our commenters. It's always good to have you there to keep us keep us on the straight and narrow. And uh, we'll be back next week with another show on... Well, you know what the topic will be. You'll see them as they transpire. And we'll try and maybe dig up some extra interesting bits of information. Maybe we should do more historical stuff like that, just little tidbits that we can kind of um, uh, link into it, you know, just as a, a broad spectrum thing. So, yeah, sure. uh, we'll stay on it, and you do too. And we'll be back um, next week with another show. So until then, have a good evening and uh, stay safe and uh, don't fear the army cold. See you next week. Thanks for watching. Bye. Hopefully we won't get banned. Bye. Can't stop the signal now.